Hello and welcome to the Baseball Wisconsin Podcast. I am your host, Tim Gotzler. Today's episode takes us into the fourth inning of Game 5, where we sit down with head baseball coach at Lawrence University, Chris Krepline. Now, Krep is um, just coming off of one of the best years in school history. Um, Lawrence just had, um, again, a record-setting season. Uh, the 2022 squad won the Midwest Conference title, uh, rolled right through the um, conference tournament, and earned their first regional bid to the uh, NCAA Division III tournament since 1979. So, you know, uh, the state of Lawrence baseball is ascending, and here in Krep's uh, you know, background and his history and his playing days and then getting into coaching. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation, you know, and they open up here this weekend, you know, like a, a lot of other Division three programs do across the country, especially the ones across the state of Wisconsin, which I know a lot of us in the coaching community have connections to, to the uh, either the public or the private Division three schools in the state of Wisconsin. So today's episode, amazing, just to sit down um, go inside of Lawrence baseball. Actually, you know, talk a lot more baseball and development and training and practice structure and everything else. So, you know, now that our seasons are getting closer, you're at the high school level. Like I mentioned, college baseball is off and running. Um, just, just love this conversation. So, without further ado, head baseball coach at Lawrence University, Chris Krepline. Hey, coach, how you doing today? Good. How are you? Awesome. Thanks for coming on. Hey, let's just get started with. Just what's your background in baseball? Where are you from? Where did you grow up? A little bit of your playing background and then roll, kind of roll us into your coaching background. Sure. So uh, grew up in Reedsville, Wisconsin, um, small town uh, just east of Appleton, between Appleton and Mantuoc. Um, You know, grew up on a farm, uh, basically multi-sport athlete, football, baseball, basketball. Um, got the opportunity uh, to kind of go on. I went to, uh, to Carthage College. Um, was a football and baseball player there. Um, actually, I was more heavily recruited for football than, than baseball at the time. Um, but uh, I got to play four years there. Um, got to play with the uh, with the Manitowoc Bandits uh, sophomore in going into my junior year. And I got picked up by the Green Bay Bullfrogs, actually, in the Northwoods League. So that was a fun experience getting to play in that league and play closer to home. Um then I went on, uh, got to play a little bit of ind independent ball. I kind of bounced around for three years after my collegiate career. And uh, it was time to, uh, you know, get the big boy job and, and start uh, and start my career. So um, what got me kind of into coaching was I started off, um, even as a, a college player in the summers, I, I tried to coach a little bit too for, for Manitowoc Legion, um, so close to home there. And then when I graduated, I came back um, – and, and coached at Reedsville High School for, for two years. I was the Reedsville High School head coach. Uh, got a teaching job at Michigan High School. Kind of did everything you can imagine there. Freshman basketball coach, uh, you know, middle school and, and uh, high school football coach there, but also getting the chance to still coach at Reedsville. And then uh, job opened up here at Lawrence University um, where Coach Anderson brought me on. Um, it was a part-time gig uh, as, a, as a pitching coach. Was here for two years and then opened up uh, Over the Wall Baseball Academy up in Green Bay with uh, he's actually the St. Norbert College head baseball coach now, Mike Walrich. Um, went up there and uh, actually got to coach with him at St. Norbert under Coach Winsky, a uh, longtime legend in the state of Wisconsin, now at CMU. Um, coached there for, for three years as an assistant coach, uh, pitching coach. And then when Coach Winsky left for CMU, 
Um, you know, the job opened up at uh, St. Norbert, which Mike took, and then the job actually opened up here at Lawrence at the same time. So um, wanted to see if I could uh, make that next step into the head coaching role and took on the job here. And I've been here since uh, the fall of 2018. I'm going currently on to my fifth year uh, at the helm of Lawrence baseball. I appreciate you laying that out. I'd like to go back to your playing career a little bit because I'm the more and more I do this, I'm convinced that there's some translation from the player you were to the coach you are. Um, but you're unique in the ways that, you know, you kind of brushed over your college career a little bit. Uh, I know you're a humble guy, but, you know, talk about playing two sports at the collegiate level and just how that maybe shaped you as a competitor, as an athlete, and then eventually as a coach. Sure. So I really think the more sports you play, and we, we kind of look for multi-sport athletes as well, it teaches you a lot about who you are, your, your work ethic, your motivation, you know, it teaches a lot about failure. Uh, when you play another sport, maybe that you're not as good at, uh, it really teaches you a lot about one, being humble and, and two, how hard are you willing to work uh, to be successful? Um, being a football coach and a baseball coach at the, or excuse me, football and baseball player at the college level, um, you know, it's, it's full-time job. You really have to put a lot into it as well as being a good student. Um, you know, meetings during the day, practices, uh, trying to stay up with the other other sport that you're playing. Um, and then also to do it at a high level. Uh, you know, when I was at, at uh, Carthage College, um, our football program was conference champions. They went to the national quarterfinals. Um, it was their first conference championship in 30 years. And the coaches there really helped to mold me as well. Um, you know, Coach Rocks and Coach Williams, uh, they did a great job of, of understanding what motivated me and uh, what, what got the most out of me. Um, and then on the baseball side, under playing under Coach uh, Augie Schmidt, um, who's also another legend, um, you know, he really did a great job of, of pushing our team to be the best we could be. I mean, I still remember a time we were 10-0 and 0 in Florida on our Florida trip, and he brings us out to center field, and he's talking with us. And, you know, even though we're 10-0, and 0, he's still telling us just about how good we possibly could be and really – kind of motivating us to, we're not done yet. You know, and I think that year was a year, I think we, uh, we rattled off like 28 straight wins or something like that. To, and we went to the college world series that year, but uh, to play it at a high level, um, it really taught me a lot about who I am and to learn from those coaches um, really helped me to, to, to mold my coaching style and the relationships that I develop with my players um, on a daily basis to, to one, know how to motivate them and, um, too, just again to get the most out of them and, and to want to to do something special here at Lawrence. Well, you mentioned you know some of the lessons you learned from from these fantastic coaches at Carthage and all the way through, but I think there's something to be said too about you playing on successful teams as a college athlete. You talk about going to the World Series as a baseball player, um, setting school records, winning conference championship in football. You know, at that time in your life, what did you learn about championship teams? Like, what are the attributes? about, you know, it's so hard to win a conference championship, to go to the World Series, to advance in the playoffs. So few people get to do it. You got to do it as a player in two sports. So, like, what commonalities, what traits stand out to you about the successful teams that you were on? I think the biggest thing is culture. Um, you know, those are the teams that I'm most proud to, to be a part of. And the, the teammates that I had, the coaching staff, um, you know, the belief that we could do something great, um, in, in culture, you hear in our program is 24-7, 365. We are always trying to lead. We're always trying to be better in all facets, the classroom, the playing field, in our community, um, you know, better brothers, better 
eventual husbands, we're always trying to be the best that we can be. And I think that want and that drive is not just with a few players. It's with every single guy on your team. They all want to be the best. They all want to go and play at a high level. And they are very competitive in that fact as well. The internal competition that, you know, success breeds, it's day in and day out. You're always trying to push your teammates to be better. Um, and we, we had that connection all the way through, both in football, both in baseball. Um, all of us saw and we had goals. Um, we had visions that we wanted to work towards. Uh, they were all, you know, driven to, to get to that point. And I think that ultimately led to the success that we had um, throughout, throughout both, both seasons that, that I was able to play with football and baseball. That's great. I mean, g- give me like, I'll, I'll, I'll shut up about your playing career in a minute, but like, give me your comp as a player. What kind of pitcher were you, you know, who does today, uh, today's player remind you of when you, you played, you know, 15 years ago and give us the football side too. Just give us a little insight to who you were as an athlete. Sure. Uh, baseball side, um, you know, strong kid. Uh, I was probably sitting 88 to 91, uh, probably top 93. I had some run on my fastball. Um, you know, I was a, a sneaky fastball pitcher. Um, I would do some things, mixing up pitches to uh, get you off balance. A um, lot of sliders to righties, a lot of change-ups to lefties. Um in terms of football, tall, lengthy receiver. I was an X receiver. I remember many days of coming across the middle. Um, I was a pretty good route runner. I probably wasn't the fastest kid on the field, um, but you know, being a good route runner can sometimes make up for that. Um, and honestly, you know, that year that we went to uh, national quarterfinals and we were the conference champs, we had the number three ranked defense in the country. When you play against that every day at practice and you get punched in the mouth a few times, you you learn to be better. Um, but in terms of kind of the, the playing and how it affects my coaching, like uh, the, the no-nonsense aggressiveness, I really wanted to, uh, you know, as a pitcher, pound the zone. Uh, it was a personal. It was personal when, you know, we ran a lot of bump and run coverage for, for our defense, and that defensive back is up in your face and talking trash to you, and um, you really learn quick. Uh, you know, you don't want to be on your back on the ground. You, you want to be, uh, you know, torching him for a 40-yard, you know, uh, fade route or something. So um, it really built the competitive side of me as well. Um, you know, that, again, that personal me versus you pitcher versus the batter uh, wide receiver versus defensive back. Um, and I take that a lot into coaching too, is I, I want to be the best. So I'm going to preach that to my players of, of it's you versus versus them. Um, and then don't get me wrong. I also preach a little bit of you versus you. I always strive to be the best player I could be uh, on the field and and, and verse myself. So I had some pretty big goals that I was always trying to meet and uh, really helped me out. Well, now bring us inside of, uh, inside of Lawrence baseball. Like just give us a, tell us about your program. I know we talked before we recorded um, maybe not a ton of information out there uh, about your program in the state of Wisconsin. So just kind of give us the the flyover view of what it looks like, and then we'll dive into the minutiae of how you guys run things. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're an up and coming program. Um, you know, if, if you were to say Lawrence, you know, a couple of years ago, people might not know where it is, but slowly putting our, ourselves on the map, uh, here in Appleton. And, uh, you know, we were hosting the college world series some time ago. Um, but now the kind of goal here is to, to continue to push, to try to make it. So, um, you know, we, we've done a pretty good job here of, of getting our name out. We've recruited, you know, nationally, now we're, we're starting to get more into the local local scene, um, developing relationships with coaches. Um, 
you know, we, we really want to, to be that program that's looked upon as high academic and uh, a successful baseball program that's going to develop players. And, you know, the, the recent success of last year and, and even a little bit before has, uh, has started to get our name out there a little bit. Um, you know, in terms of uh, things that we're trying to accomplish here, again, is the, is the culture piece to it. And that comes with developing relationships around the area in our community. So um, really trying to, to build that with our players, our coaching staff, and um, showing what Lawrence is all about. Well, yeah, I mean, you could just tell your passion and you're such a culture guy in relationships. So, like, take us inside your program. I mean, what is it? What's the experience like for a player? What is that 24-7, 365 message you're driving home um, to your players? Sure. So we have some staples. Uh, so recently we actually just uh, changed kind of our, our lingo and, and actually we went away from the old Viking head as our, our school mascot to a more, more traditional Viking ship. So we came up with the, the acronym of, of SHIP, uh, which stands for selflessness, heart, integrity, and pride. And we really try to preach this, you know, day in and day out. We have leadership meetings with our guys that has really helped, um, you know, build some success and build um, their character. Um, we believe in, in the, the player-led team. So um, when I got here, I, I really wanted the players to have some, some voice. Um, you know, at the end of the day, they should be the ones that kind of, of lead it and talk to others about this is the way we do things in this program. Here's our goals. Here's our, our vision. And this is our expectations as, as a group and as players. Um, you know, it's, it, it's kind of going to uh, coach Peck at Minnesota. That's something that uh, one of his quotes of, you know, a, a, a coach led team is a, gr a good team, but a player led team is a great team. And we really believe that um, and giving up kind of that ownership piece uh, uh, to our players. Um, Besides the, the the leadership meetings, we do the one-on-one -on -one meetings every two weeks with my guys to develop those relationships and really help them, you know, in the day-to-day -day basis of the academics, the the stress of school, um, you know, trying to be the best that they can be on and off the field. Um, we have a kind of a tradition here as well that's a, a, a team dinner every week where we really try to, again, develop those relationships with players and understand that we're a support system, uh, the family aspect, the brotherhood that is baseball. It's a fraternity in itself, we like to call it. But uh, through that that team dinner, um, and this is nothing new. I, I kind of stole this from convention. I think uh, Jeremy Sheetinger did it too. Um, the heroes highlights and hardships uh, piece to it. You know, when I first started, guys really uh, stayed away from the hardship piece. They had the choice of picking one of the three. They chose the easy route. So highlights or their heroes, something that motivates them, a mantra, a quote, you know, um, the uh, the highlight, let's celebrate you, give us something to applaud you, you know, you're doing great. Um, and then the hardship piece, give us something you need support for. And at first it was, you know, they, they chose the easy route, but since then um, they've, they've done a really great job of opening up and, hey, you know, grandpa's not doing so good or, you know, um, I'm really struggling in this class. I had this professor and, you know, I need some help. Can you, can you, someone that had this professor or someone that's in that major, can you help me out with it? Um, it's really opened up. I think it actually caught our first year players a little by surprise last year, um, just because of how open it was in that first, uh, that first team dinner. Um, and we do like to keep it light at times too. Sometimes we, we, we skip over that part and I come up with some, uh, some pretty unique questions just to, you know, clear the air and, and a nice little icebreaker, um, you know, if you could listen to one song, only that song, the rest of your life, what song would that be? And you get some applause by some of the good songs and you get some booze by some of the other songs. So um, I think that's a big piece, too, is you got to be able to 
you know, you got to be able to laugh with your teammates. You got to be able to go through the hard times. You have to have the hard discussions. Um, you know, it was pretty apparent even, even last year, there was two player meetings that happened outside of coaches. We did not run some of those meetings. They called together as a, a players group. Uh, Florida, the Florida, after our Florida trip, the, the guys were a little down. We didn't play to our standard or expectation. They had a players meeting. They talked about it. Um, we had a big series that it was the only series we lost two of three, uh, in the conference. They called the players meeting and they talked about, you know, what do we, what do we want out of this year? What's, what's our expectation? We got to be better. We got to do these things. Are we going through the motions? Are we working to our potential? And that all came from them um in, in inside their players group it wasn't coach coach led it wasn't saying hey you guys need to kind of have a meeting and and talk about this they wanted to do that um so through through the captains and through through the players they figured it out they had those tough conversations and i think we went on a run after that where we only lost one more one or two more conference games the rest of the season um and that's that was kind of all through them they wanted something more and and they were able to achieve it because of the culture that we had. Wow, there's there's so much there. Uh, a couple things come to mind. First one, you you mentioned Coach Flack and and Sheets and all these people. It seems like in that you versus you mentality in your role you're in now, it's how can you be a better coach? And you're constantly looking for ways to improve. So like, how do you get your professional development? Are you a, a reader, a podcaster? Do you call other coaches? Do you have like a, a kind of army of guys that you look that you make these phone calls to to? get these ideas that, you know, your bag of tricks. So how do you get your, your, your coaching fix? Sure. Um, well, I will say that although baseball is pretty big, it's actually a small world, you, especially going to a national convention with 7,000 coaches and you're, you know, surrounded by guys that you played against, played with, coached, coached with, you know, whatever it may be. Um, you know, you develop those relationships over the years, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm big on, on being a lifelong learner. Um, so whether it's podcasting, um, really, I was really big into the, the ABCA podcast. Um, you know, easy to flip that on when you're, you're doing a workout or something just to see what, what other coaches are doing. Um, you know, the conventions are awesome, uh, and, and not even necessarily going to them. So you doing a, a, a virtual one and I know with COVID that kind of became more apparent with zoom calls and things like that. But, uh, even before last year, we, uh, we couldn't all attend the convention as a coaching staff together. So I pretty much locked my coaches in my office in front of a big screen TV. I bought them dinner uh, and lunch. And for the, the weekend of the convention, we basically watched together, put up on our big whiteboard. We brainstormed, um, you know, here's what, here's our staples, what we want to have in our program. Here's some, some ways that we can, can flex and go different directions. And, how do we ultimately keep tweaking every single year to be better in practice planning and leadership and culture, um, you know, in, in the relationships that we're developing with our players, what can we continue to build? And we're not done yet. I know, you know, we had success last year, but it's still back to the drawing board. You never know what you're going to pick up from, from anybody, whether that's a, don't wrong. I've, I've picked up a few things from little league coaches you know, how to keep it fun, you know, especially with the grind of a season, you got to implement a little bit of fun in that time too. So you might come to a practice one time and see kind of a little league uh, competition going on between my guys. Um, and they're laughing and having some joy in it, but uh, you just never know what you're going to pick up. So always being open to that. And I mean, I, my Google drive is about 95% full right now, just of uh, 
quick things that I've typed up, you know, whether it's listening to a, uh, the podcast or, or a live stream or, or something that I've read online. Coach's Insider uh, was, a, was a real big uh, go-to for me, um, you know, and then also just having those relationships. I know I have a couple coaches in my inner circle that if I was really struggling, I could call upon and just say, hey, how did you do it? Um, you know, between, uh, you know, Coach Winsky and, and Augie and things like that, um, you know, they, they definitely can offer me some advice if I really need it as well. Well, one, I love the idea. I went down to Chicago last year and some of my staff went down, but this year we're going to do the virtual option. Just can't make the trek to Nashville, but you got me thinking about locking them in my classroom, ordering some, <laughs> put it up on the smart board and see how that Friday, Saturday goes. So anyway, I honestly think you get more out of it that way because when you're kind of going back and forth between speakers, like you don't really have time to all right, all collaborate with, with your coaching staff. So, you know, I have a ginormous whiteboard in my office. That's, a good 15 feet long. I'm actually thinking about just doing a whole this the whiteboard paper and just covering an entire wall and just coming up with ideas and things. And so you kind of get a little bit more out of it that way too. Don't get me wrong. Love it. Absolutely love it. Well, I mean, you in particular, like do you coach the pitchers? I mean, what's, what's your position group as you guys do it, you know, indie breakdown, uh, where do you spend your time in a practice? Cause I do want to get to the, to the practice setting. Sure. So you know, as a head coach, you're kind of the overseer of the whole practice plan. Um, don't get me wrong, sometimes you're the energy bringer. I know our 6 a.m. practices, uh, old coach has to get them fired up a little bit. So I'm, you might hear a scream from me at the beginning, like, you know, Ric Flair going off. But, uh, you know, sometimes you're you're that guy. It's whatever practice kind of needs you to be. Um, you know, but I, I basically have, have helped out with the pitching staff. I have a pitching background. I have two very good young pitching coaches right now that take the bulk of the work um, with AJ and, and uh, with Nick Guzzo. So um, they, they really dive into the analytics, the pitching mechanics, all that kind of stuff. And I'm more the overseer of staff rotation and, and, you know, uh, assessments and things like that. Um, on the side though, uh, when we get the indie indie defense, I'm working with the infielders currently um, doing their throwing progressions, doing their individual uh, defensive work. Um, working with them during uh, PFPs and picks and things like that, uh, along with the pitchers. Um, and then I have uh, Evan Wick and, and Trent Wickham that do a great job with our hitters. I kind of chime in there from time to time. And um, ultimately, though, as a head coach, you're trying to see everything you can uh, just because of assessments. You want to see how hard guys are working. You want to see where guys could possibly fit. Can we move guys in certain scenarios? So you're trying to kind of walk around. You're, you're wearing multiple hats throughout the practice. When it sounds, I mean, you, at the end of the day, you got to make the lineup, right? That's, that's your name on top of lineup cards and, and, you know, decisions, good or bad, if they work out or not, you know, it's, 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 it's down to uh, on your record and, and everything else. But I'm, I'm interested too, on the practice planning part, like, how do you do it? You know, it, just give your traditional practice. You guys get back here from, from Christmas break, January, February, you guys get ready for your season. Do you kind of set the skeleton practice plan and let the coaches fill in? You know, what, what's your process for practice planning? Sure. So, I mean, one thing that, and this comes from being a player, I really want my guys to know day in and day out what they're doing. Um, you know, if I, if I was a player and I show up for practice and I have to ask coach, what are we doing for the day? Did I prepare my mind? Did I prepare my body to, to be ready for practice? So we have a, a Google sheets um, kind of a, a basic breakdown. It's a, it's a monthly plan where they see every single day, lift, practice, um, any type of meetings, things like that. 
Then this next sheet over is going to be a weekly. Uh, here's what you're doing in terms of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way through the week. And then within that, the next sheet over is going to be, uh, we start with um, meditation, something uh, mental, it might even be some mental minutes of quote, something like that, might be some uh, meditation on the ground, some uh, visualization. We get into warm-ups, uh, an explosion phase where we're trying to you know, build our athleticism. That could be multiple different things. And it can even be a team competition. If you want to really get them fired up for that day, you have them compete. Um, then we do something with base running or bunting, and that's kind of alternates every other day um, in a segment. And then we go into uh, two groups of it's either throwing program and NDD, or you're hitting the cages for some light work, some individualized work before our, our BP type of theme. Um, and then the last block of the day is typically going to be some type of conditioning, some type of, uh, you know, competition phase that could be a bunch scrimmage to end the day. Um, that could be Viking BP where we have a little competition and, um, you know, I throw, I always like to, to put something on the line. So, um, I'm more of a reward than a punishment type of coach. So we got donuts on the line for the next day or some type of Gatorade, that sort of thing. But, um, I, one really good thing that this came from, uh, coaches insider, uh, one of the coaches that I was listening to talked about how we really don't give our pitchers enough time or even for our two ways. We don't give them enough time to get their throwing done to get work in before we start sending them off to shag, send them off to do PFPs or picks. It's like, Hey, you got 10 minutes, get your arm loose. And now we're going into team defense. So one of the things that I really try to do within the first 45 minutes of practice, if you're a pitcher, you have a lot of time, to do your driveline, do uh, your your bands, to do your catch play where you're working on your pitch grips within your catch play. Uh, then you get into your long toss. And then when 45 minutes is up, typically the, um, the first segments for the position players is done. Then if it's the team defensive day, we can go into team D. If it's something uh, in DD where we need the pitchers or we get into our practice segment of, of themed BP day, now they're able to rotate groups between shagging, core velocity belt, um, film, some mound work, whatever it may be, short box, bullpens. They're able to rotate with the shaggers to get a lot of work in a little amount of time. So really giving those pitchers that opportunity. And honestly, we have everything broken down. So here's position players practice. Here's a two-way reliever, two-way starter practice. Here's a PO practice. And what that would look like they know that at this time, two ways you have to be done with your throwing progression and all of your uh, driveline, uh, J-bands, things like that, because now you're going to head over to hit or you're going to head over to do NDD. And one thing that we do uh, probably a little bit differently is if you're a two-way player, I know you can pick up a ball and you can throw it from the outfield. You know, will I still have you practice a couple throws here and there? Yes. Do I need you to throw 20 throws from the outfield? No. Um, you know, same thing with a, an infielder. We're going to work on footwork during NDD. We're going to work on maybe a, a smaller throw where we move the bases closer to you. You work on footwork. Most throwing errors come from lack of footwork or we rush a throw. So they work primarily on that. But all of their throws, if you're a two-way, are pitcher specific. So it helps us monitor how much of a workload they have so we don't overuse them. And I know being a two-way when I was in high school, uh, I would pitch and then go play center field or go play in the outfield. And all of a sudden that big throw is coming up 
oh boy, right? And I just did a bunch of throws before that. So really trying to keep tabs, on, especially now with pitch counts, you're trying to keep tabs on those arms. But if everything is pitcher specific in terms of their throwing program, they develop velocity because they're doing everything pitching and they're they're able to monitor their arms so they don't get sore. All right, there's a ton there. Let me start with um, your Google Sheet practice plan. So do you send yep. that, do you send that out to the guys like that morning or is it just one running Google Sheet document that they just have? It's a running document. So they're able to see every single day throughout the, the year. And this goes into off season as well. Uh, they're able to see, you know, Sunday through Saturday, what am I doing every single day? And then when we get to actual, like the practice, when we get back in January, they'll see the weekly tab and they'll see, okay, today is a team defensive day. Uh, today it's going to be Viking VP. Um, it might be, we're doing a little bit more with individual defense on this day. And then again, I should say with also within this, we have it, and this is the teacher in me, broken down. So NDD is for, so for my infielders, NDD might be these three drills on Monday. On Tuesday, it might be double plays. On Wednesday, it might be throws to first, right? So that's all broken down. That, my coaches have, uh, between that and the hitting part of it, they have their own individual things that they add to it, and, and that comes from them. So my I primarily handle the infielders on what they're doing. Um, Pitching-wise, I chime in, but I let those, those pitching coaches do it. And then for our hitting coaches, they have that as well. Or uh, throwing throwing program for position players. One day, it's more volume or we might be playing catch with a six ounce baseball for a little bit for 10, 15 minutes, really trying to get that volume base. The next day it might be a throwing progression where within your first 90 feet, you're going to do every single type of throw as an infielder that you're going to experience in a game. So it might be ground ball throws to first. It might be on the run flips to second uh, relay guy for a cutoff. It might be tag plays where your partner's throwing you a one hopper. You have to practice your tags. That'll be that progression. And again, that will alternate every single time as well. So I'm guessing this is just a tab that's always open on your computer and your coaches, yes. you're just like working. It's just like the thing that's always going on. Well, that's, I love that. And maybe I'll ask you for a copy of that at some point. I usually tell people don't judge me by the tabs at the top of my screen. <laughs> that's so. funny. I think we all work that way. It's like <laughs> put them in categories, put them in groups. How did, yep. Someone says, how does your computer ever run? Well, it goes slow because I never. Oh, if it ever crashes, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm definitely in trouble. Starting all over from scratch. Oh, man. Well, hey, you, you mentioned, um, you know, part of your warm up and your explosion phase and then your arm care. You threw out some plyos, driveline, J-bands. How do you have, how do you have it structured? Um, is it more of a buffet of options? Here's some options we have for guys. Is it really structured? You know, we go from this to this to this. So talk us through some of your, you know, your arm care before throwing. Uh, so before throwing, each guy is different. So understanding as a coach, like there are certain things that make guys feel good. Some guys love the, the plyo balls. Some guys hate them. Some guys love the J-bands. Some guys hate them introducing it to them is a good thing, but then trying to, you know, tweak what they like, what they dislike, and ultimately how they get their bodies ready. Um, there are some staples that we like to do uh, beforehand um, in terms of their warmups. So even after our team warmup, pitchers might have an extra 10 minutes of a pitching arm specific warmup where, you know, there might, they might be doing, um, you know, uh, the, the bretzel stretch, they might be doing, uh, 
some things in a quadruped where they're trying to open up their thoracic spine. There's certain things that they'll do. Um, but ultimately they, especially in the college level, we have guys that go off. Some guys are working at tread right now. Some guys went to driveline, uh, BRX. There's so much stuff out there that ultimately whatever's going to make them feel good. I want them to do. And I also want them to teach me a little bit of it as well, because you never, you never know, like our guys, we have a, a group me app that guys are constantly throwing new ideas into Hey, coach, what do you think of this? I like that. Let's incorporate that into our warmups. Um, so ultimately what they like to do, but we still have some staples that's like you should still do this before you throw or you should still do this. So uh, a couple of examples of that is even when we get into our throwing plan for pitchers, within the first 60 feet, we are actually working on some of our pitch grips and pitch design. Um we are playing hip to hip catch. I think that came from Andy Lopez. Hip to hip catch. Put a glove up left side, three three throws. Fastball to curveball changeup. Put it on the other side. Fastball curveball changeup. Hitting spots till you get past sixty feet. Now it becomes about more drill work, long toss, stretch catch, uh, pull downs, whatever that may be for the day. So the goal is you've actually had thirty some throws with all of your grips before you ever step foot on a mound. So I was I was a big. I didn't really do that when I was a pitcher. So it's the more, you know, now, right. When I was a pitcher, I would go play long toss, try to throw the ball as hard as I could all the way back, all the way back in. And then I've stepped foot on the mound. Okay. It's, it's bullpen time where I get maybe 10 throws with a breaking ball. It's like, well, why don't we work on some pitch design within the first 60 feet and then go, all right, we're fully getting loose. We're not throwing at 60% intent. Now we can fully get loose, come back in. Maybe it's a little bit of a flat ground short box, or maybe we go straight into the bullpen setting to get up on the mound. And we like to get up on the mound for our pitching staff almost every single day. That's where our money is. So we want to make sure we get them up on the mound. Well, I mean, this is primarily, you know, high school coaches listen to this show. You know, we're stuck in the state of Wisconsin. It's cold. You're inside a lot. You know, I think a lot of separation happens between programs inside. And I know you're constantly working on, you know, everybody has constraints with facilities or space or roster size or whatever. People have constraints. Like, what are you doing inside your practice environment, maybe on the tech side or anything else that you're incorporating over the years that you think is putting you guys in a better position each season that ticks away? Sure. So, I, you know, I've, I've basically been in Wisconsin my whole life in terms of practice, you know, from high school all the way up. Um, so finding tidbits is always a, a, a great thing to incorporate into your program. I still remember at Reedsville hitting the fire alarm and having the fire alarm go off and our coach is like, Nope, we're practicing till the fire trucks get here. We're going. So you got to find some ways to be creative. Um, you know, I really feel like the, the driveline portion of it, and we, we like driveline, but we don't use everything that they do. The plyo care balls that you can throw against a concrete wall. If you're in limited space, you can work on arm strength. You can work on arm health. Um, so here's a quick tidbit that you'll probably like. I learned this last summer with the, the Rockers. As a, as a pitcher, especially in our weather, you get eight warm-ups to start your inning, right? If you're a starter, five. If, if you're, you know, after the first inning, you take a plyo ball that's about the same weight as a baseball. You have a concrete dugout. You throw it is one, two outs as you take your pitcher make him throw five to 10 throws to 15, whatever, against that concrete wall. He just threw 10, 15 throws to warm up his arm before he gets five throws, which typically are 35 degrees. I got to get warm. So I'm trying to throw 
hard just to get my arm loose. He already did that in the dugout. Now he can go into the game and those five pitches he can actually now utilize for, I got to get a feel for my curveball this inning because I didn't have it in the last inning or a changeup or whatnot. So plyo curveball has kind of changed the game uh, in terms of being indoors. Um, another thing was just in terms of, it was kind of a side of it, but I saw one of our outfielders this summer literally took his glove off. There's a runner at second base, took his glove off. He's in the outfield and he's mimicking 15 throws because he's in a situation where, Hey, that runner could be a potential run threat. I might have to make a throw to home plate. So he's literally using the weight of his glove to warm up his arm. And then he can make that throw without, Oh, there went the arm on one throw because it was been 10 minutes since I played catch with the guy, you know, on the foul line. So, um, but other things in terms of like the, the indoor space, um, you know, we have obviously at the college level, we have access to a bunch of tech and things like that. Um, we've gotten a lot of use out of the rap sodos for hitting and pitching. Um, honestly, if you don't, if, if it's not in your budget for a rap soto for hitting, you can find, and as you probably can search Google for the distance of launch angles inside of a cage. And we've all been there where we're facing live pitchers in cages and having to judge, was that a foul ball? Was that, you know, a base hit? And you got your team screaming behind you. Like that was a cage bomb. Come on, coach. Well, you can actually find And what we first did before we had rap soda was we took yellow paracord and I think it's 15 and 45 feet. We put it up through the cage at 15 feet, up through the cage at 45 feet. And then we also did, uh, getting technical, we also took like the, I don't know if it's the protractor or whatever for, for angles. And we did that going straight up the side of the cage. So now you're able to, when the ball is hit into the net, if it's before 15 feet at the top of the cage, that's a fly ball that's now. If it's between 15 and 45 feet, that's a launch angle similar between 15 and 25 degrees, which is typically a line drive or a fly ball that might be hard, hard to catch. Okay. Anything that's below that, that's at least not the middle of this, the, the cage and up is probably going to be a ground ball that could get fielded by an infield. So we had to start with that. Um, when I first got to Lawrence, we had to start with that. And then eventually through fundraising, we were able to get the rap Soto um, for, for hitting, which, Guys want to use that all the time because they want to see where the ball would have landed on the field. So, um, but that's, that's a big, big contributor to us. And obviously we have other tech, uh, you know, for, for indoors in terms of like the pitch logic baseballs that we have now, that's really a big thing coming up. It's kind of like diamond kinetics baseballs. Um, what else do we use? Blast motion sensors we use inside. Um, and there's some other things for arm health. So put your high school coaching hat back on for a second. Like if, you know, budgets are limited, you're fundraising, you're selling pizzas, you're doing everything to get a little bit of money. Like where would you prioritize supplies? Like, you know, if I asked you, Hey, I got a thousand dollars, I got $5,000. Like what, you know, where should we spend that money as high school coaches? Um, honestly, the biggest things, and I can kind of take this from when I got to Lawrence because we were pretty depleted on uh, equipment. You want, one, like I said, with the cage, I think that's a big thing to see ball flight with, with them. But things that is going to allow them to practice at a high level, uh, as well as be able to do things on their own. One of the big things that we have, especially in cold weather, we're limited. So when the gym's not available, we're, we're in trouble. So we got to find ways that they can still get a lot out of practice individually 
and outside of the traditional practice. So can you hit plyo balls uh, off a tee into a concrete wall? Sure you can. Um, you know, you, you got to get creative in, in, in that sense to, uh, to make it feasible for your players. We had a, a, a one pitching machine. We bumped it up to two pitching machines. So guys can see breaking balls. They can see fastballs up to, you know, 95 miles per hour. Um, you know, if it's a, just a traditional BP thrower, and I know, you know, we have uh, rubber arms as coaches, um, you know, you want them to be able to see something harder than what they might face. You know, in terms of our conference, we're going to see anywhere from, you know, 82 to, to 90. So if I can always make the practice harder than what they're going to see in their games, this game starts to slow down. If you're taking and throwing feel good BP at 45 feet at, you know, 40 miles per hour. Yeah. They're hitting a lot of cage bombs, but are they being challenged? And then again, the first time they face someone that's a high velocity thrower or has a really good curveball, do they panic? Are they able to handle that? Does the game speed up on them? So, and being versatile, like I, I take off our pitching machines from, um, from the legs, which we custom made our legs, by the way. So they come with the, the short legs. I went to Home Depot and I cut uh, some piping. So I put it up at 70 inches. So now it's releasing from the same release point as a pitcher does. So all of our machines are like that, but we can take them down. Now I can do mass ground balls with my pitchers. Um, I can do, you know, obviously indoors, it's harder for, uh, for the outfielders to get some work in. But, um, you know, if they can take 30 to 50 fly balls once you get outside, and we've all been there. We find a parking lot that doesn't have snow in it, um, you know, or, or, or the, luckily the turf football field or something, you know, instead of your coach hitting a fungo that maybe every fifth or sixth fungo actually makes it to them, you have something that's precise. And then the coach doesn't have to do the work. You could have a player feed it and you can do the assessing in the outfield, you know, with those players and critique them and those sort of types of things. Yeah, that's I got to ask you about the. Home Depot modification, you know, because uh, you see people have it up on ramps or blocks or a variety of things. So I'll pick, sure. your, brain, I'll pick your brain on that one for sure. Um, you know, it, within practice planning, you know, a lot of talk about training economy, right? You know, you only have so much time with your players, especially at your level. Um, you know, you're not a JUCO that has 10 hour practices year round. You know, you have limitations. Um, how do you decide, you know, how to, is it, is it per time of the year? How's that training economy look like? Uh, so honestly, like we're big into the individual development piece. Um, we spend a lot of time at that. And then ultimately when we get to the team aspect, it's about competition. It's about pressure. Um, and it, it, it kind of served us well. I mean, last year, even for Lawrence, we had, gosh, I think it was 13 come from behind victories. We had 17 games that were decided by three or less runs. So a lot of gray hair was, was gained by me over the course of the season. Um, but I want that team aspect to be less thinking, more doing like you react and you're able to handle the pressure and the game never gets too big for you. So we'll designate certain days for that, uh, at least twice a week, but a lot of it's going to be the individual, uh, defensive portions, individual hitting portions where we're trying to build confidence within that individual player. And then when we get to the team aspect, we let them go play. They're confident. They get into a competitive, uh, competitive game, a uh, bunt scrimmage. Like I said, our Viking BP 
our, our Viking VP, and I forget who I stole that from, but uh, essentially um, you got a coach on the mound that's either throwing BP or, or feeding the machine. They hit two balls uh, or, you know, so many baseballs that are dead. And then the last one you play live and you have base runners and you get to see throws from positions. We'll play a, a, a Viking BP where it's nothing but guys in scoring positions. So we'll have infield in for majority of the BP round. Uh, we'll do competitions with that. Try not to let the guy score. Um, lips, late inning pressure situations. We'll put a runner at second base with one out. The offensive job uh, guy's job is to score the run. The defense's job is to prevent the run from scoring. How many games do we see that are one run that it came down to the you know seventh, eighth, ninth inning, and it was a mistake because they weren't prepared. Uh, the pressure got to them. Um, you know they weren't able to react in the in the correct way because the, oh, there's almost like a little fear, right? So we try to put all of that on them at least twice a week in a team setting. And we try to put that competition piece on them as well. And that's one of those things I think as coaches, especially in baseball, you know, other sports, they can scrimmage, they can go live short games, whatever. Baseball is different in that environment. So it takes some creativity and a, and a mindset to manufacture some of that competition. So you gave us a little bit, give us some more about how you can do that again, another cold day, another snowy day in Wisconsin. You know, how do you build that, you know, that competitive juice inside the gym? Sure. Um, I mean, one that comes to mind is, is we'll take the pitching machine. We'll set it at 90 miles per hour. And, uh, you know, we just call it a fastball chip. We're just trying to stay alive, right? You got two strikes on you. Just chip a ball so, until you get another good pitch. He'll start at home plate. If he gets a piece of it, he takes a step towards the machine. He gets a piece of it, takes a step towards the machine. How far can you get up? And guys get pretty uneasy when it's a uh, high velocity and you're standing less than 15 feet from the machine. Can they handle the pressure type of thing? Um, you know, tennis ball knockout. Guys love that, right? Um, I, I actually do that with, with our pitching staff, too. They, they love that piece to it. Um, you know, you get on a mound. One of the things that you can't really practice is a comeback or right at you like a scorcher. So we do tennis ball knockout. You get a tennis racket. You hit a ball back to the pitcher. He's got to knock it down something and then make the play with it. Um, you know, you can do that with your infielders indoors, uh, trying to just make that they got to make, if you got enough distance, they got to make the play in the hot corner, but then they also have to make the throw, uh, you know, put timing on things using stopwatches, um, you know, multiple different ways that, that you can, you just got to get creative in terms of what you do, whether it's a, a time segment, if it's, uh, getting them out of their comfort zone trying to make the game speed up in practice so it doesn't speed up when you're playing in a game. Tennis ball knockout, you're giving me some PTSD about pitching in the beast, in the beast or bat era on the mound and taking some oh, time yeah. what's coming back, brother. Oh, that's good stuff. Hey, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about, um, you know, as I got high school coaches, like what are you seeing with high school coaches, or high school players come to you? Like what can we do as a group of coaches to get our kids better prepared for that next level? Um, I think the biggest thing is, is, uh, you know, preparing them mentally for it. Um, you know, there, there's a big push to, to, to play all year round, um, regardless of where, where, where you're at in the country. Um, so just building that mentality piece, teaching them how to fail. Uh, you know, every kid that comes to us was probably a starter at their high school and then they get to us and they may not be the starter. It's how do they deal with that? Do they, 
you know, feel down and, and now they go through the motions or does that motivate them to, to become better? I mean, we, we started six freshmen last year and some of the guys that were already here that may have lost that spot, they had two choices. You could, you know, just, it is what it is and you can just be a part of the team or, or whatnot, or you take and you keep working. And I'm proud to say a bunch of those guys were, they were great teammates during that time. Uh, they were mentors for the younger guys during that time. They knew that they weren't where they needed to be. They worked hard, and, and now they have a chance to be back in that starting role, um, especially with moving a couple guys ar- ar- around. Um, I'm seeing a lot more overuse that's coming to the college level uh, in terms of arms. Um, I know there's a pitch count rule, but there's ways around the pitch count. Um, so just – trying to make sure that they have good routines, arm health, um, and then ultimately setting them up for success uh, as they get to the, you know, the college level that way. Um, again, the mental side of it, you know, um, understanding what it takes, uh, you know, a Nick Saban quote, it takes what it takes. If, if you want to play at the college level, go there to be the best. Um, don't just want that goal of, of going to the college level and, um, you know, just being a player want to, to do the grind. You know, that's something that kids don't understand either is it's not the 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. And then you practice for two hours and you go home and you do homework. You, you got to prioritize what you're doing and take pride in it and, uh, you know, really push yourself in the classroom as much as, uh, you know, on the field and, don't get me wrong, I, I get a lot of emails and it's very tough to turn a kid away that may be a very talented player, but I got to tell him that his academic standing is not up to par with where it needs to be, uh, one, to get in, but two, to just be successful as a college student. So really pushing that aspect that the, if you want more doors to be open, it's not just on the field. More The, the better you are in the classroom and the, more, the harder you work at that, you're brighter on the field. Uh, you know, the, the mental toughness that comes with it. Um, but also it's, it's just going to open up more possibilities for you at any level. Got me thinking about something you mentioned before. Um, talk about the Northwoods league a little bit transition to that. Like, I think the Northwoods league has a, a special place in baseball fans hearts and you to be a part of that. Maybe just set the scene for us a little bit. You know, what's that those summer nights look like? Uh, you know, it's, it's, Unbelievable competition. Um, I want to say I think 90 guys got drafted last year out of the Northwoods League. Uh, plenty of professional players are, you know, up in the big leagues right now that came from that that level of competition. Um, but it's it's a grind. It, the Northwoods League really uh, reflects, and, and they pride themselves on this, what a minor league schedule is. It's 72 games um, in essentially 78 days. You don't have many off days. Uh, you eat, sleep, and breathe baseball. You're, you know, waking up, going to work out. You get to the ballpark between noon and 2 p.m. You got early work, batting practice. You hang around the clubhouse for a little bit. Game's at 6.05. You play, you get a post-game meal. You go to bed the next day, it's all over again. So it really shows you what the minor league level is and can you physically and mentally handle that grind of a, of a, a summer. Um but it's unbelievable. You're playing in front of, you know, two to 5,000 fans every single game. Um, you, even though it's collegiate baseball, you feel like a big leaguer because of the autograph signings and, um, you know, the things that are going on within the game. And 
you know, if you're a hitter, you're facing 90 miles per hour every single day. Um, it's just a great atmosphere to be a part of. And uh, ultimately, it's setting you up for can you handle it? You know, are, are, are you, you got a wood bat in your hand? Are you going to be able to still have the same success you had at the college level, you know, uh, facing that caliber of pitching and then also using a wood bat? And some kids, it works out great. Some kids have a little work to do um, or it challenges them when they go back to their season. I know I, that's the way I took it as a player. I played a summer in the Northwoods League, and when I got back to Carthage, essentially I felt that I was more well-equipped. I didn't make mistakes because you can't make mistakes versus, you know, Division One hitters. Uh, but I was more equipped going back that season um, where I had unbelievable confidence. Like, I faced the best in the country. I'm going to come back to my conference, and I'm going to do even better. Well, I got to imagine in, in your role, right, managing in a Northwoods league, um, but, you know, coaching at, the, at at Lawrence, like it's two different roles. So how do you switch one on and one off? Because you get kids from all over the country coming in, variety of different levels. You're managing much different demands than maybe in season. Um, what's the biggest difference you've noticed between the, the two jobs? Um. I mean, honestly, in terms of the recruiting, I feel like I'm recruiting two to, two teams at the same time. Um, and sometimes it, it kind of plays in part because obviously I want the highest caliber player I could possibly get to come to Lawrence that wants, you know, the high academic education, you know, is a great ball player. And, you know, don't wrong, I took I took this from um, uh, Webster University. They've been to World Series a couple of times, but I got listened to a podcast with their coach and. He said, ultimately, if you can recruit, you know, one to two guys that probably could have gone division one, division two, but they want to get a higher education, uh, you know, in four years, you have eight guys in your starting lineup that, uh, you know, could be playing at that level. That could that could be a lot of success for you. You know, so uh, it's opened up a lot of doors in terms of, um, you know, the coaching connections. You know, I'm on the phone, um, you know, with LSU, with with Vanderbilt, you know, power five schools, you know, things like that. So it's exciting in that piece. Um, I think the the biggest difference is going to be that you're kind of the general manager with it, playing with the contracts, the temp contracts versus first and second half versus a full contract. You, you get an insight to what the front office is like with the Brewers because you're trying to, you know, for, for Lawrence, I get these kids all year. So I recruit, I know what's coming. I know I have them all year where you have to play for the starting pitcher that might have to get shut down because he reached an inch limit middle of the summer. Who's coming in to replace him? Um, you know, rotating every guy in your lineup is a, is a quality, you know, high caliber player. How do I rotate time every single day, giving them enough at bats, but also keeping them fresh. Um, you know, another big thing I'll say is, you know, and I enjoy it a lot at the college level, you really get to develop the relationships a lot longer because you're doing more with them. You know, with the, the Northwoods league, you're playing every single day. You get to, to, you know, be personable throughout the day, but you only get 78 days. I get four years with my guys, right? 78 days, that kid might not return next summer, or he might go up to the Cape. Um, you know, you only get so much time with them. So really trying to develop those relationships is a little bit harder in the Northwoods League because you only have a certain amount of time to get to know them, to find out how they tick, you know, what motivates them, 
and even just to develop a, a, a development program for them to see success all summer during early work, you got this amount. You know, a, a player at Lawrence, they're going to have a year-round program. I get to see him from 115, 120-pound freshman um, all the way up to 210-pound senior. Uh, his strength program, talking about his family, getting to learn more about, about that family. Um, it's just very enjoyable to do that all four years um, as well. Well, to me, it just sounds like baseball is your life. I mean, I know you got a family and, and everything else, but you just, this is, this is your passion. You're a junkie. Um, so I, I love this last question and I forget who I stole this from, but like, what is something in the baseball world that maybe you believe in that you'll hang your head on that others may disagree with you on? Um, so I really feel, and some may disagree, giving players ownership in the decision-making process. Um, obviously there's certain things that are standards or certain things that are non-negotiables, um, but giving them a voice will help with your buy-in. It'll help with them believing in something. Um, you know, that could be as simple as certain drills during practice that they really like. Um, when we do our exit meetings, one of the things that I tell them is, I want you to criticize me. I want you to, and I know that sounds bad. I want you to tell me how I can be a better coach. If if not, if I take things personable as a coach or personal as a coach, and I'm like, just kind of, you know, weed you off with that comment or whatever, am I really getting to the understanding of what our program could be? It's not my way or the highway. It's got to be a collaborative effort between players and coaches to build a program up. And the best programs, they I feel that they have that. They have that collaboration of player and coach and staff that everybody's wanting to contribute to make the program better. Um, you know, we we do some things too with uh, you know player ranking forms and power rankings. The guys love to see that because that's all over the place. They see that in professional sports as well. We do a lot of stuff with analytics and saber metrics in terms of assessments for our guys who should be playing and things like that, rotating guys around. But, you know, the player rankings piece, it's fun for them. Uh, they get to see how they compare to their other teammates uh, based on what they voted. And ultimately, you also get to see who guys believe in, you know, games on the line, who are you bringing in to close out the game? If you have one a one-off, it's a the wild card. Who are you starting? Who's your starting pitcher? What's your starting lineup look like? You'll find, you know, majority of the time it's pretty similar to what you already think. But hey, there might be someone in particular that's getting a lot of love. Maybe you're overseeing that kid, right? And maybe that's a guy that you really should trust and believe in. And there it is. Huge thank you goes out to Coach Krepline for hopping on with us on today's episode. Uh, and just to be honest, the last five or so minutes got cut off. We had some tech difficulties here in my classroom. Uh, maybe it was Zoom, I'm not sure. But uh, anyways, what got cut off at the end was he continued to talk about uh, player-led teams and giving player ownership and, you know, kind of that foxhole uh, mentality, uh, which I know, you know a lot of coaches talk about. And, you know, to turn that ownership over in some capacity to your players takes a lot of vulnerability and confidence in what you do. And you know, hopefully you heard in today's episode, just one of the phenomenal younger coaches we have here in the state of Wisconsin. Um, yeah, and guys, and, and I appreciate you tuning in. Again, we're, we're marching towards uh, March 1st. Um, college baseball's off and running. You know, spring training's off and going in Florida and Arizona. Um, clocks are going to change here soon. That's always my uh, indication that it's time for baseball season. 
And um, yeah, we'll see you uh, next episode. And we appreciate you taking time out of your day.